Hey there, language lovers. It's Shannon, and I'm here to introduce our latest podcast episode with one of my best language buds. In this episode of the podcast, we chat with my SoCal neighbor, co-coach of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, current Lord of Catan, until she's up for a second round, of course, and my yoga accountability partner. But in addition to all those things, Elizabeth Bruckner, our guest and Fluent in Three Months team member, is a language learner and lover with an incredible story. Some of the things Elizabeth shares with us are what the biggest language learning gremlins are and how to overcome them, how she finally found success in language learning in her 40s after 10 failed attempts, how to stop making emotional excuses, and you'll get an inside peek into what coaching in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge is really like. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, and if you aren't yet, we hope you become one, you know what comes here. If you enjoy the podcast, please let us know by leaving us a review. We appreciate all of the reviews that you've left us so far because one, they help other language learners like yourself find us. And two, they let us know what you like most about the podcast so we can do more of it. Let us know what's working for you at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, we really appreciate hearing from you and we read every review. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com slash 24. Now on to our interview with Elizabeth. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Shannon Kennedy. And of course, as always with me, we have Benny Lewis. Hello, everybody. And today we're interviewing a special guest who happens to be a Fluent in Three Months team member along with Benny and I. So we're very excited to have her here. She's also one of our coaches for the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And she is quite the experienced language learner herself. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you all to Elizabeth. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so we're going to jump right into it. Elizabeth, how did you get started with languages? How did I get started with languages? Oh, my goodness. Um, I came from a multilingual mother. I was birthed from a multilingual mother who was a, a war refugee. She came to the United States with her family at age eight. And everyone on her side of the family spoke Russian and English. And then when she married my father, it was a generation that was like, we're all about being monolingual. English is the way to go. And so I was not able to learn the language. But I always felt like I had a mirror into this other world that I wasn't privy to. They would laugh differently. Their their voices would lower when they spoke in Russian. It was something that I wanted very much and was never able to access until now. So I think um, your story is that you've actually tried 10 times to learn languages over your lifetime. And it's only really that you've had success in your 40s, if I got that right. So what did you do and what changed? Yes. So my claim to fame is that I failed learning languages 10 times. And uh, and I'm also in my 40s, I learned languages. So it's not something that people walk around with like a sign like, you know, learn languages in your 40s, ask me how. But this is my story. And the 11th time was when I found Fluent in Three Months. So I was driving home from San Francisco. I was on a long road trip that I just love with an audiobook. And a teenager of that's in my family had asked me, 
why, um, what would you do if you had to live in Groundhog Day? Have you guys watched that movie? So you, you, this mm-hmm. guy lives like, you know, he lives several lifetimes, but the same day over and over again. And the first thing that popped in my head was I would go down to the library and I would get a book about French and I would learn how to speak French. And so I'm driving home seven hours because I drive slowly. And I'm like, why am I not doing that now? Like, why? I've tried, but why didn't I keep trying? Well, I, I didn't keep trying because I kept failing and I would get burned and then I would take a year off and then I'd try again and it would not work. So I'm like, this time I'm going to invest in an, an expensive course and I'm going to, I'm just going to put money into it. If you throw enough money at it, it's going to happen. I went online and I looked for reviews on Rosetta Stone and I found this Irish dude giving uh, in a, a hoodie, a gray hoodie, given like stink face at the product in his review. And I'm like, what is that all about? And then I read further and you too, Benny had failed at learning languages several times and you seemed accessible to me. And you said that it was possible to learn without spending any money, which was nicer than me throwing lots of money at it. And so I, I just went into the rabbit hole of the fluent in three months blog. And I started with, um, I'm also a bit of a commitment phobe. So I started with just doing Duolingo five minutes a day and one lesson per week. That's all I could commit to. I didn't really want to invest a lot of money in it because I thought that I was going to fail again. That was my biggest issue. And now three years later, you know, I speak French regularly with my friends. I'm learning Spanish and can easily hold a conversation in Spanish. And I did a, I had a 15 minute conversation, many actually in German. I mean, that's me compared to me is astounding. And so I want other folks out there to understand that if they failed many, many times, they can do it. If they're in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, they can learn a language for the first time. It's absolutely possible. So I don't want to diminish any of the work that you've done because what you've done is absolutely amazing. But let's say I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. And someone says, all right, you've tried to learn French like a bunch of times. So maybe it's just because you're a false beginner. You already had some experience and it finally came together for you. But I happen to know that you've applied these same techniques that you've been using the last couple of years to learn Spanish and German as well. So could you just... I know you've written a really amazing blog post about this, and I will link to it in the show notes. But just to kind of sum up for those who are listening, what was it exactly that you did differently that French suddenly clicked for you and that you were able to go on and apply those same techniques to Spanish and German? Like what was different for you? Um, You know, this is not meant to be a plug for the blog, but I found Flown in three months and I followed what people said to do. So the first thing was speak from day one. I didn't speak from day one. I was busy working. (laughs) I was running a clinic. I didn't have time to speak that day. I had to treat patients. But I spoke from like day five. (laughs) I went online. I found three tutors. I tried each one of them. And I found that the huge secret to my success was connecting with humans. So I attempted um, French in high school. So I don't know if 20 years later is a false beginner. Maybe I think I knew 20 words when I started Spanish. I knew nothing. German, I knew nothing. And what I realized is in high school, in university and in grad school, which is when I, where I took my language courses and actually did quite well in them. I got easy, easy B's and not so hard A's, but I wasn't speaking. So there was no motivation that got lost very quickly. What I found is that once I started talking to someone and I could like make a joke in French and my teacher would get surprised that I even made a joke and then laugh, I felt motivated to talk to her again. It made sense. Like, oh, this is why you learn a language. For me, 
learning a language isn't about um, the, the the C1, C2 levels. It's just not. It's about connecting with people. So I actually probably will never be um, a novelist in French. I know that's a surprise to you both, but I will not be a novelist in French. I don't have a, I don't have the desire, but I do have the desire to sit at a cafe and meet a friend that I haven't seen in a few months and just catch up on our days that we've had away in completely in French. That to me is the motivating factor to learning a language. And I appreciate you talking the blog up, but I think um, as as much as the uh, blog and community would have helped you, you have come to this with a certain amount of your own life experience. And uh, you have a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine. And I'd like to know how you take the uh, emotional health issues that kind of come with the work that you currently do and apply that to coaching students in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. Because there is a little bit of your um, the things that you've learned before you truly got into languages that you have been able to bring into this. Yeah, and that's something that I don't think um, learners that come as full-on adults realize that you have so many gifts that you get to bring to language learning. For example, I invested a great deal of my time and energy in helping patients with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, and depression. I have a lot of knowledge about how to help the nervous system settle down. What surprised me most was when I sat down to have an appointment with a teacher for the first time, well, let's let's go back. Let's back up a little bit and talk about the brain, right? The brain is this. Um, it's my favorite organ. I'm sure everyone has their own favorite organ. Mine is the brain. What I love about it is it's this incredible organization with different departments, and the departments take over according to the emergencies. So when you're when you're learning a language, it's very important to use the prefrontal cortex. And right now, I'm touching my forehead because it's right behind the forehead, and the prefrontal cortex helps you make decisions. Oh, am I a visual learner? So I need to do more reading or am I auditory? So I need to do more listening or mm, something's missing. I'm not hearing well when I listen to people. So I need to do more listening practice. Then there's this other part of the brain, which is incredible. It's great for when tigers are running after you. We don't have many tigers in this day and age, but our brains don't know that. So what I started recognizing was a week before I make the appointment for the teacher, I knew that I was paying that teacher. I knew that that teacher could not bite me or, you know, use claws to rip me. But I saw her, my body saw her as a tiger. And so cortisol levels increased. I had um, insomnia. I would be really nervous beforehand. And I kind of looked at it like a scientist, like, wow, this is amazing. I'm experiencing many of the things that I treat people for. And it's in a very safe environment. Like nobody's going to hurt me in my, in my living room with Skype. It's just this nice Belgium lady that wants to help me learn French. She's not here to harm me, but my body was reacting differently. And so I started taking the techniques that I use with my patients, those lifestyle techniques. And I actually did treat myself with acupuncture a few times too, to help my nervous system settle. Because once you're past that hump, and once you've learned one or two languages, I think I'm wondering if it's the same for you both, you know what to expect. You know you're going to be nervous. It's okay. I'm going to be nervous the first few times and then it gets better. Um, but it's that initial hurdle that I find people hit these emotional roadblocks, these gremlins that I like to call, and then they stop learning. And the biggest reason I hear is I don't have enough time. Oh, I don't have enough energy. But what I'm really hearing is I was really freaked out when I made that lesson and I felt really uncomfortable or I had a teacher that didn't look all that enthused and I never want to feel that way again. 
So I'm going to stop learning and just tell myself I'll do it when I have more time. Do either of you relate to that? Have you ever felt that before? That kind of emotional hurdle that just stops you from learning? I certainly have, especially as an introvert. That's like something that I still struggle with. And I think you kind of touched on that in a really important way. And you said that initially it's this hurdle that you have to get over. And while it's this thing that you have to kind of get over, it's not something that ever really goes away. It's almost like waves in the ocean. So every once in a while, your boat has to go over this giant wave. And then after there's still some other waves and it's this thing that, you know, you get more comfortable with it. Yes, but it's something that's always kind of present. And there can be certain situations or certain things that come up that still make you nervous and that you'll still struggle with. And, you know, you had, you yourself had said this and I know knowing you that, you know, um, it was really, really hard for you to start speaking and start putting yourself in these situations where you were conversing. And then now you go out and you're like, hi neighbors, I heard you speak Spanish. I'm going to chat in Spanish with you. And that's not something that you were able to do before. So it's almost like we build up this kind of tolerance, I would say, even if it's not, I'm not comfortable with it still. I may not necessarily like to do it. I'm going to go and pace my hallway for an hour before I walk across the street to introduce myself to the Hungarians that live across the street kind of thing. So it's, it's, you know, I, even after 13 languages, I still get nervous and I know you get nervous, but Benny, as an extrovert, I, I you had mentioned that you get nervous, but so what kind of situation would you get nervous in Benny? Yeah, so for me, it's not necessarily the the nerves of talking to other people. I, I think I'm I've I've gone through so many mistakes at this stage that I'm numb to that kind of um, situation. But I I like what you were saying that uh, the main thing people are saying, and I think a lot of people who'd be listening to this would say the main reason they have not learned a language or they have uh, been stalled in learning a language is I don't have the time. And I'm, I am just as guilty of doing that. And I think that, um, when I really, really look into it, it is actually an emotional uh, reaction to things. Because for instance, I'm, I'm currently juggling multiple languages and I am successfully putting time into my best languages that I have the most fun in. And yet I tell myself with Mandarin that I'm still struggling with and trying to get back into this like lower intermediate stage. Because it's more of a struggle, I tell myself I don't have time for it. But that's nonsense because I ha- I clearly have the time for Spanish and Portuguese, which I have more fun in because I'm an advanced level in those languages. But somehow I don't have the time for Mandarin. And I think that is this emotional wall that I put up that I'm still struggling. I still feel uh, embarrassed when I do speak, even if I've gotten to the um, uh, like I don't feel intimidated to speak. It's still... Uh, I still have to get through that barrier and it's definitely an emotional one, even if I will like tell myself, oh, I don't have the time. And I think that's the case for quite a lot of people. I think when when you talk about it's uncomfortable, it's actually physically uncomfortable. We've got two parts of our brain, the speech production and the speech recognition. To move from the speech recognition to the speech production, it's actually physically painful to build those neuro pathways. So yeah, I, I did not want to go for a slow run this morning. Absolutely not. But I made it part of my habit, right? There's a cue. My, my clothes are waiting there for me. There's a, a reward at the end as I do a little dance. I do a little dance. They must think me, I must be the kooky neighbor. Like what, what is she doing at 7am? Why is she dancing? 
because I got through 30 minutes of slow run. And then afterwards I come home and take water and that's another reward. Like there's this cue routine reward. And if we don't have that, it makes it much more difficult to get through the pain. Language learning is an, a mental and emotional sport. No doubt about it. So we are all athletes in this way. I'm sorry, Shen, what were you going to say before I got so excited about the brain? Oh, no, it's fine. Actually, your brain comment made me already want to move on to the next thing, too. So you're talking about how it's painful to move the thing from like the recognition to um, the active use. And I think that's really interesting, especially since you were just comparing it to running, where you're actually building these connections almost the same way you're building muscles, you're building endurance to be able to do some sort of activity. And I think, you know, kind of into what Benny was saying, where you know, he feels bad at it. So he creates excuses for not doing it. And I, you as a coach in the challenge all the time, you, you come across these excuses. I'm too old. I can't do it. I don't have the talent for it. So what are some of these that you've seen that you've come across that you find are really prevalent and coach us? What <laughs> would you suggest that we do to overcome them? I'm going to coach you too. That's hilarious. Three years ago, I was like, how do they speak this many languages? And now I'm like talking to you. It's crazy. Um, the, the magical world of, of language learning. So the first thing I want to say is one of the most important things is self-awareness. And we've got a lot of books on personality types, learning types, and they're very useful. But when I'm talking about self-awareness, I'm talking about you got to look at what's on, like you got to look at the monsters under your bed. You have to look at the dark places of your mind. I like to call them gremlins because it brings a little more humor to them. But my, my gremlins, which a lot of people have, are I'm not doing it fast enough. I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing it efficiently. And I'm, I'm never going to get there. Those are my four favorites. Now, I used to have, but I, I worked a great deal on it, which was my self-worth was connected to my achievements. And luckily in grad school, I just started a mantra, which was, and I share this with all of my patients, and I hope that language learners everywhere can use this too. My, the grade that I receive on this exam does not equal my self-worth. Here's another one. My pant size does not equal my self-worth. And here's one for language learning. The rate at which I'm speaking fluently compared to other people that I know does not equal my self-worth. Self-worth is a given. You just have a human right to be here. And so self-compassion is such an important part. And it sounds very hippy-dippy, but really it's I, I base it from like a Buddhist perspective, which is common humanity, which means I think one of the biggest problems we have in language learning, and Shannon, I know you'll know this because we get the same I, the same scripts over and over again for people. I'm not doing it fast enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm just not a language person. I'm not gifted like you are. The first thing that you have to recognize is that you are not unique as a language learner. You're probably in a category. Maybe you're introverted. Maybe you're extroverted. Maybe you have a shyness issue. Maybe, maybe you stutter. But there, I guarantee whatever your specific learning situation is, there are millions of other people out there with the same thing. So once you recognize that, you realize that you're not alone. That was the beauty of the blog. When I first, I mean, that you guys were my language buds. That was it. That's all I had. I had one friend who was learning French. Thank God I had her because I would call her and I would name those gremlins when they came up. And then I had the blog. Now that I've flown in three months, like, yeah, I get to coach, which is great. But I also get a community. So when my gremlins come up, I name them. And when other people's gremlins come up, they name them. So my question to you two, I know I keep turning the interview around, but this is the first time I get to like ask you guys all these like nice, yummy questions. This is my question to you. 
what are your biggest gremlins and how do you handle them? For me, it's I'm not efficient enough. And one of the, the ways that I deal with that is common humanity, sharing about it and then practicing self-compassion while also continue. It's not, oh, good girl, you're scared. Okay, let's just go eat bonbons and watch TV in English. No, it's like, oh, sweetheart, you're scared. And now let's do the next right action. So what are your gremlins? The whole world, every listener is waiting to hear. Shannon? <laughs> oh, just put me on the spot. <laughs> um, mine are that I am really shy. And uh, I have a very difficult time talking to people, even people that I know. Um, my daughter the other day told me, you don't talk, mama. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. So that's definitely one for me for sure. Um, it's, it's difficult for me, like just to start something. I almost always wait for someone else to initiate always. And then I become self-conscious about the way that people perceive me because of that. They may perceive that I'm cold and I'm fully aware of that. And then that gets in my head and then it makes me want to do it even less. So <laughs> they're like, Oh, well, they're not going to like me anyway. So why bother kind of thing? And so that's definitely another one. And then lastly, I would have to say, um, the, like, who am I to do this? Like, I'm this coach. I'm this language learner. I'm putting myself out there. And it's like, but who, like, who cares? Who am I? Like, why, why am I doing this? Why does this matter? Like, am I really that good that I could be doing this? And so kind of that, that sense c can get in my way quite a bit as well. So, those are mine. Penny, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I guess my biggest gremlin by far is my ADHD, because the inability to focus and especially alluding to what I said before, when there's an emotional aspect to it, like I, I can sit down and I can watch a show in Spanish on Netflix or I can study some advanced grammar for one of my better languages or for the languages that I still struggle in. Those are the times when my house is the tidiest because I will sit down, think I'm about to start and be like, "Ooh, I should clean the kitchen. And I will use any excuse to not do the thing. And that's uh, in a, a that's a large uh, issue people with ADHD have. So I have to have so many systems to prevent myself from getting distracted and to um, something like Shannon was saying earlier to kind of have um, a, you know, a pathway that you're, you have one thing leading to another thing. And I have to do that a lot. And I, I, I kind of feel like I, ha I definitely would call it a gremlin. I, I like imagine this inner ADHD gremlin that's constantly pushing me away from just focusing and doing something that I, I need to do. Um, so that's probably the, the biggest one I, I deal with. And um, I think it is important to recognize that. And of course, to not go so hard on yourself. Like I could say, Benny, you're absolutely useless. Other people have no problem sitting down and just studying for a period of time. But like you said, I, as, as much of a unique snowflake as I am, I'm not that unique a snowflake and other people in the world definitely have issues sitting down and studying. So it's, it's okay. There's no language learner out there that has it super easy all the time that has no struggles whatsoever. People may not have the same struggles you have. Many people do, but many people um, know what you're going through. And uh, I think that helps a lot that I, I like using the likes of uh, uh, social media, sharing stories and seeing other people share their struggles as well, I think is very beneficial because it can get tempting to pr uh, push on the likes of Instagram or whatever, constant success after success. 
And uh, we can feel that kind of pressure. And especially when, uh, like my other gremlin would be the the public accountability that I've built up this this whole thing around fluent in three months. So now there's this expectation that I maybe have to be this very successful polyglot, whereas there are times when I will struggle to say things and I'll make mistakes and languages that I used to speak well, I don't speak as well right now. And I feel that pressure and I need to uh, sometimes not give into it too much and accept that people are okay with seeing me make mistakes as well. That's what I would say. They welcome it. They welcome it, actually. I mean, when I see you struggle as a beginner, then I know that it's okay to struggle because you can, if you play the comparison game, you will lose every single time. If you go online and look for other people that have learned a language, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be fluent in three months. And I remember emailing you, Penny, like a weekend. I'm like, so, okay. I'm not going to leave my husband and go to some island for three months and learn a language. Can I still learn if I'm only studying 20 minutes a day? <laughs> I got a response like, yeah, of course. But I needed to know that because if I had tried to do exactly what Benny was doing or if I tried to do it exactly as Shannon was doing it, I would fail miserably. I think that kind of touches on something really important and I want to bring it back because I want to put you on the spot, Elizabeth, because you keep turning it to us. <laughs> and I, I, now that you know Benny and my gremlins, like I want you to kind of maybe for other people who share them um, to kind of coach us through each of them. But to return to what you said before I ask you to do that, um, you just mentioned comparisons now. And I think a lot of our gremlins regardless of what they are, come down ultimately to comparison. So for me, as an introvert who's shy, who doesn't like to talk to people, I may see someone who's more outgoing and I'm like, oh, why can't I be like them? I would be so much cooler if I were like them. I'd be able to do this and this and this and look at all these opportunities I'm missing out because I'm not like them. And Benny's too, you know, these, you just kind of naturally draw these comparisons to other people. And a lot of the time that gets in your way. So now that I've got that, out, coach us. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting that the, the both of you in Chinese terms are very yang and very yin. So yin and yin is very inward. It doesn't move a lot. It's quiet. Yang is very outward. And your issues, your gremlins reflect that, right? So yin and yang, one isn't good and one isn't bad. The sun isn't good and the moon isn't bad. But if I take my pale skin and sit out in the sun for eight hours, it's going to be bad. It's too much for me, right? In the same token, if someone only goes out in the moon, they're not going to get enough vitamin D. So let's start with you, Shannon. What I would talk about to a student that has a shyness gremlin, first of all, you have to recognize what's going on in the body, right? The cortisol levels are increasing tremendously. And what that means is you now go into fight or flight. Fight or flight is when your brain sees the tiger and runs. It doesn't think, should I have tea with the tiger? Should I discuss negotiations with the tiger? Maybe this is a nice tiger. No, you just run. And if you're stupid, you fight because no one should be fighting a tiger, let's be honest. So what I would say is we need to get you out of that fight or flight brain. Okay. The ways that we do that is how I would treat a patient with um, post-traumatic stress disorder. So when a patient comes into my clinic and they start to go into whatever neuropathway that is their strongest, it might be just fear, fear. I feel fear. I feel fear. I'm so scared. You're going to hurt me. I'm going to be hurt here. The first thing that I do is help them first settle in and notice if they are truly like question that. Am I truly in danger right now? So before a lesson for, for me, because I've had those moments where I'm feeling very nervous, I would sit down and I would look around the room 
Okay. It doesn't, I've been in this room many times before. This is my living room. It looks relatively safe. I don't see any ninjas hiding behind chairs. There's no tigers. And I know it sounds, I'm, I'm putting humor in it, but I do that for myself as, as well. Cause you don't talk to a child like, all right, now what you need to do is just buck up. There's nothing wrong here. You want to talk gently. Oh no, sweetie, there's no tigers here. Right. The next thing that I do is physical. I will move my body. I'll go for a 30 minute walk. I will do jumping jacks right before this, um, Right before this podcast, I did some, just a little bit of invigorating Qigong, which is kind of like yoga in the Chinese medicine. I mean, it's not, but kind of like that. It's a movement and it just grounded me. Another thing that I do is I'm focusing on my senses in my body as well. So I'm sitting right now with both feet on the ground. And right before the call came in, I was pressing my heels down into the ground and activating my legs. So I'm, I'm bringing kind of the feeling of sensation, my body is releasing some of those biochemicals and my nervous system is settling. The third thing that I do during a lot of, um, you'll even see it in some of the fluent in three month videos that I do. There's always something in my hand and it's a, it's, you call it a touchstone, but it's really something that is um, helping me stay connected to my body. Because for me, when I hit fight or flight, I'm not feeling my body. You're not supposed to, when you're running from a tiger, you're not supposed to feel the thorn that you just stepped on. You're supposed to run and you figure out all the damage afterwards. So what we need to do is continually bring ourselves back to our body. And the fourth thing, because I think this is really important, is get that connection with people that are safe. So you have quite a few friends that are polyglots. What I would recommend is when you feel that activating, send a quick text. Hey, I'm scared. And I just want you to know I'm going to try and do this anyway. So I remember during my first meetup, I called my friend Maggie and I'm like, I am freaked out. I've only been learning French for two months and I'm going to go speak to other people like in a room as an introvert. This is nuts. I left the message and I said, look, I'm, I'm just feeling these feelings and I'm going to call you back afterwards. I left a message. It wasn't like she was talking to me, but what it did is it helped me remember that I'm not alone, that I'm not unique. Everybody else gets scared too. And that I was going to do it anyway. So that's, that's your coaching session for today, which I find hilarious. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I'd, I'd be curious what, what you'd have to say for me. Like, how, what would you advise for the issues that I described since you're, we're in coaching mode, you know? Right. We're in coaching mode. So you're talking about too much yang, right? Everything's going up. You're, you're easily distracted. You see a shiny object. You want to go, right? It's, it's yang. It's very energetic, which is wonderful. Believe it or not, Exercise will also help with that because it's dispersing some of that energy. So before a study session, sometimes cleaning your house is good, but you want to make sure that if you're going to right before a lesson or lessons aren't so hard for you, it's more like sitting down for an hour of grammar, right? That's so let's talk about the really ugly stuff, right? I'm going to sit down for this 40 minutes of grammar and I don't want to do it. So the first thing that I would do is again, self-awareness. I'm uncomfortable with this. This something's happening. It's making me scared. It's making me angry. It's making me frustrated. And once I name it, once I name the monster under the bed, it has less power, right? Now, what am I going to do about it? So what? Now what? The next thing is, what am I going to do about it? Well, I might do 10 jumping jacks to get that adrenaline pumping to kind of get some of that nervous energy off of me. And then I'm going to sit down. Maybe I'll make a ritual out of it, which I think you already do. Like, first of all, you do timers. Timers do not work for me. As you both know, I was at a party once with a timer. It was terrible, terrible. I don't do well with that. So what I recommend, but for, for folks that need to know that this is going to end soon, a timer is an excellent idea. So moving the body, getting a timer, and also reducing the stimulants right? Caffeine, um, 
I wouldn't even say something like chamomile tea, but let me, let me think for a second. What would I find is very grounding? Believe it or not, I, and this actually has caffeine, but I love chocolate for people that have anxiety issues. Not late at night, only in the afternoon, but chocolate has, uh, Ananda, Ananda bromine. I'm terrible at pronouncing things in English and other languages. Um, and yet I can still speak French. Isn't that wonderful? But this, this, um, this chemical is, um, it's called the bliss chemical. So it gives you a sensation of bliss. So if you had some hot chocolate, unsweetened, cause sugar is just, sugar is the devil for ADHD. It's just, it's, it's fires too, it's giving you too much fire and too much energy too fast. So all sugar should be eaten with a nice amount of fat. This is good news. Who doesn't like fat full ice cream? But you know, this whole like fat free, uh, culture that we're living in right now, not good. Your body is not processing that sugar fast enough. So I would do hot chocolate, get that anandamo around, maybe a little bit of honey if I need some unprocessed food and then move forward. I would also find a way to move my body while I was doing the um, grammar. So one example of that is I had to learn numbers. I hate learning numbers. So I went out into my pool and I jumped every time I had a number. It was really hot. It felt really fun. It scared all the neighbors, which is always a fun thing to do. Have some strange neighbor, you know, yelling in French and <laughs> numbers, but it got me connected and it's kept me like that or like um, stationary bike. Yeah. That's excellent advice, definitely. And it's uh, something I've come across a few times and I've definitely noticed patterns that whenever I have a good exercise before I just sit down and study, that I'm less easily distractible because I've kind of dispersed that energy a little bit. And I've even found when I uh, take my spoken lessons, I actually nowadays take all my spoken lessons and even my calls standing up just because I found sitting down I, I get a little like, um, you know, distractible. I want to move or something where standing up is, uh, is just, uh, it just kind of requires me to put a little bit more energy into it. So it's very good advice. I think I'll, I'll definitely have to implement that. Appreciate it. And along the same lines, like you, you coach the Fluent in Three Months Challengers. And what do you think would be the stumbling box blocks that they tend to bring up apart from the ones we've already discussed? What other uh, if you can give us like a, a quick snapshot of the things people face and what kind of advice do you tend to give to them? It's funny. One of the things that I notice most is um, fear of criticism, self-criticism and criticism from their peers. And I think Shen and I um, really make a, a very focused effort to let people know, like, we don't let that in. This is not Reddit. This is not YouTube. People don't get to anonymously leave rude, angry messages, you will be kicked out. And it doesn't, it happens so rarely because we just, we just weed those. It's not, it's not a place where that would come, but it's still kind of teaching people like, look, we are doing this too. That's why Shannon and I do um, challenges. I mean, we both like it. We're slightly obsessed with languages, but on top of that, it's nice to see us stumble too. It's nice that we can't figure out that one particular sound, but a native speaker in the community can. So once we get past that fear, and I see it a lot, I think one of the things that make me so sad is this, and it's not false humility, it's um, it's true humil- humiliation, self-humiliation, which is, here's my day 30, It's I didn't, I scripted it, I sound horrible, I'm just putting it on here. Now, I know that they're just frustrated and it's uncomfortable, but it's also like, stop being so mean to yourself. You know, you did great. You haven't, you, you said like a hundred percent more words than you said on day zero. Let's celebrate that. 
And what happens is then a number of other challengers write down, I think you did awesome. I love the way you roll your R's. And it helps build self-confidence in the challenger. So this idea of a focused goal, all at the same time, we're all in it together. We've all got mud on our face. We all have bedhead during our, well, most of us. But, you know, we all look like we're just raggled and tagged because we've been working so hard. And that community will then build you up and get you past the fear. I think one of the things kind of based on what you said that's worth touching on is this need to be perfect that it, you know that uh, it needs to be polished it needs to be you know error free before you put it out there but the reality is almost nothing in life is error free even our ability to speak our native languages aren't error free we constantly make mistakes but that doesn't inhibit other people from understanding us and from us getting our point across and being able to communicate with someone else and so as you said before, you know, when you're learning languages, your goal ultimately is to communicate and to connect with other people. And for someone who might be feeling nervous about reaching out and connecting, what would your advice be? Well, the first thing is um, find a community and share about it. Find a gentle, kind community. One of my favorite sayings is, and I believe I created the saying, so um, I'm going to copyright it right here is um, go where the sunshine is. So if you're on a Facebook group and it's, uh, you know, polyglots are us and they're super grumpy and they're, you know, they're constantly arguing about theories and methods and my way is better than your way. Get off of that. If it doesn't make you feel good, get off of it and find a place where there is sunshine. For me, that was um, Instagram. There's a hashtag. I think it's language diary challenge. You can also go to fluent in three month challenge, F I three M challenge, and you'll see other people doing what you're doing. So if you go to my um, Instagram account for, for French and Benny, you have like what, 18 million in different languages. I think it's approximately 18 million, right? I have a lot of Instagram <laughs> accounts. That's right. <laughs> and they're all in different languages. So you can find people that are doing that are sharing in that language. And then you can say in your language, I'm nervous, or I feel really dumb when I'm trying to learn conjugations. And you will find other people that can then you can kind of stand on the for, for me, what I did was I stood on the shoulders of giants, and it made me much taller, much faster. And the giants don't have to be Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy, you guys only have so much time in the day to return all of our emails and texts and etc. But there are other giants out there. My dentist speaks seven languages languages. He's amazing. He's one of my giants. You know, my grandfather spoke terrible English, but I had a deep and lasting relationship with him. He's one of my language giants. Find your language giants and share with them that you're scared. Because again, once you name it, you've got a lot more chance to change it. Yeah, that's excellent. And I, I think um, uh, something that you've touched on a few thing, a few times here is, is trying to find the, the right flow in languages. And I know, especially someone with my mindset where I like to have like ticking clocks everywhere and all of this. I, I am always thinking about the precision of exactly what resource do I think I should use and what exactly am I going to do in my language learning schedule? And I think a lot of people gravitate towards that, but you're more of the philosophy that you don't really uh, go about following rigid rules when learning a language. So why is that? And what would you say to other people who? may be thinking a bit too rigidly. Mm. So for me, it was trial and error. So I initially did everything that you said in every, in every, I actually had, <laughs> oh, 
my sweet little three years younger self, I had a goal to hit B1 um, in six months because I figured if you did it in three, I could do it with a full-time job and a life in six months, which actually was not the case for me. I didn't hit B1 until about nine months or 12 months in. Um, so I, and I just lost my train of thought. Oh my goodness. Do, do, do. The timer's on. Oh, rigid, rigid, right. So a friend of mine in the challenge, Paulette, she's one of the community coaches. She once said, you are the Han Solo of language learning. I love that because it was so cool. I, ho- I hope you replied to that by saying, I know. <laughs> I didn't, but she created an emoji that's Han Solo, which I love. It's like my own emoji. Um, but I'm going to start replying to that as I know. Anything cool? Yes, I know. Um, but what she meant by that was I will often say, and I, again, I I think we have to steer away from fundamentalism in all things. So the idea of this is the right way, the true way, the only way, the way in the light, whenever somebody tells me that I'm very skeptical because there are so many different pathways to truth. There are so many different pathways to learning a language. So what I learned is I try what the giants say, and then I, if I hate it, I toss it. Like, for instance, I bought Asimil because I think you talked about Asimil. It's so wonderful. It's a really good book. It told me to, I picked it up like a good student, opened up the first page, read the directions. It said you need to do one lesson per day. Well, two weeks in, I was cursing the makers of Asimil. Like, I hated this book. I wanted to put it in a trash can, put some lighter fluid on it and have like a nice, beautiful bonfire in my suburbs. And it got me thinking like, oh, okay, I paid money for this book. I've heard that it's good. I like the material. How can I, how can I best suit my needs? And so what I just started doing is once a week. So I still completed the course, which felt like a huge achievement, but I did it in a way where I wasn't causing violence to myself or violence to that poor book that I was then able to give to someone else. Um, and I find that every time for me, because I failed 10 times, like I failed more times than I've succeeded. I'm super, super protective of my motivation. I'm super, super protective of my routine. If it doesn't work for me, I need to, I need to kick it to the curb and move on. You know, it's like a bad boyfriend. If it's not working, it's not working. Like I know, I think both of you like Anki, Anki. I don't know. I know a lot of challengers like Anki. Shannon saying no, but I think um, Benny might like it. Yeah, and I, I agree with the entire philosophy that the the idea of fundamentalism in language learning. Like I, I will give specific advice, but I absolutely would not think that this is going to work for everybody. All I can do is give what works for me. I know other language learners have given contradictory advice, and that does not mean that they're wrong. It means it's definitely worked for them. And any language learner worth their salt has to be taking a little bit of knowledge from the entire pool and seeing what is applied best in their situation. I I absolutely agree with you. And the likes of, yeah, I use Anki, Shannon doesn't. It doesn't mean one of us is right and one of us is wrong. It means that we both tried it. It has worked for one of us and the other has found other things that work better. Right. It's not like an Anki smackdown, right? Like one is good. And I've, I mean, I listened to a lot of your YouTube videos when I was first learning. I was chopping vegetables, listening and just soaking in all of the polyglot wisdom that I could. And what I heard over and over and over again was this works for me. You might find something else. And then I would hear someone that had a very fundamental idea, uh, um, I, uh, mindset that was like, no, I'm going to, we're going to have a debate and we're going to, we're going to duke it out intellectually and one of us will win. It's like, no, that's not actually how it works. language learning. If the gold list floats your boat, great. You're going to learn a language that way. How do we know this? 
because millions of people have learned languages with comprehensible input. Millions of people have learned languages speaking from day one. Millions of people have learned languages, you know, only with Michael, M- Michelle Thomas. I mean, why do we have to waste time and energy? And when you have that very strict mindset, I really believe that you kill your curiosity. And once you kill curios- curiosity, you're done for, you're boring. I don't want to talk to you. I want somebody that's excited about life, that wants to, to, to have this adventure that we have. Don't become a stick in the mud with your theories. It's okay if you have them. It's okay if you're, you love them, but love them with an open mind. So all of that said, if you were to kind of put into your own words what language hacking is, and you know, I'm sure this will pull from some of what we've talked about in the podcast, um, what would that be for Elizabeth? Yeah, I knew this question was coming (laughs) because I've listened to some of the wonderful um, episodes that have published and I don't want to sound too hippy dippy. However, I'm going to, well, you know, I moved to California for a reason. So here it is. Language hacking for me is to thy own self be true, right? Be kind, find out what works for you and do that a lot. And in the midst of that, you're going to have moments when it's not working. And so you need to change it up. But most importantly, be aware of what feels good in your body and then keep doing that more. Keep doing what's going to, I think it was, who is it? Who's the guy? Andy? You guys know that polyglot that speaks a million. We, we quote him in, um, in Fluent in Three Months. It's keep doing the one thing that will keep you coming back the next day. So keep studying in a way that will keep you coming back. So if I'm having a rough day, low hanging fruit. That is, that's my language hacking, low hanging fruit. If I'm not well enough to sit, sit up and study, then watching a TV show and Netflix in my target language is enough. My dear friend that is listening, you are enough. You are enough. You've got it. You've got the material. Just, just be kind, be kind to yourself. So there's my language hacking for today. My language hacking tip. Excellent. And of course, uh, people can hear all about you in uh, multiple ways. So could you share with us both within the Fluent in Three Months Challenge on the blog and, and of course, the, your own channels? Where, where can people find more from you? I'm not a lot of places right now because I just read Digital Minimalism and it. <laughs> I'm now no longer plugged in ever. But you can find me at um, Perfectly Imparf- no, Perfectly Imparfait Fluency on Instagram. Um, you can find me on fluentin3months.com. Come join me in a challenge. We'd love to have you. I love having more language buds. And I am a practitioner at Green Jade Acupuncture in Southern California. So come get poked. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for that. And of course, we'll uh, link to all of that in the show notes so people can uh, check it, check out your stuff. And I uh, found it very, very interesting. And of course, um, I hope people take this advice, implement it themselves. And with that, I'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning, friends. At the end of each episode, Benny and I share a key takeaway you can take action on, something you can put into play right away in your language learning. And in this chat, Elizabeth shares something we all know, but can likely use a little bit more practice at. It's to... Be kind to yourself. I know that my inner critic can be incredibly harsh and my internal dialogue isn't always positive. I can certainly be kinder to myself. 
One of the things that was taught to me was to talk to myself as I would a friend, my partner, or my child. I never say the things I say to myself to my kids or friends or family. And if I wouldn't say them to other people in my life, I probably shouldn't be saying them to myself either. It just takes a little awareness and practice to change the dialogues we have with ourselves. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We definitely found our chat with Elizabeth interesting. I know I enjoyed getting coached by her. Thanks for listening. And if you found this interview helpful, don't forget to leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Until next time, happy language learning. Hello, it's Elizabeth again, just popping back on to mention our Black Friday extravaganza. The Fluent in Three Month team has gathered up some wonderful Black Friday deals for you. I've used a number of them in my own language learning journey, and I find them quite helpful. They'll be live from the 23rd of November, so remember to visit fluentin3months.com on that day to check them out. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.